0: Lord, um, this uh, life that we walk is seems like it's one trial or temptation after another. I don't think that uh, we spend a day ever with the circumstances that we're in being exactly what, the, what we want them to be. We have brought sin into this world by turning away from you and following our own ideas and our own path. And, and um, as a consequence of that, we, fake, we face trials. And Lord, um, thank you so much that, as with everything, the trials that we face can be used to worship you. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to walk with you through the things that we face and the things that we go through. Father, I just pray that you would teach us through your word this morning and just allow us to better understand who you are, better understand who we are as your creation made in your image and better allow us to present that image, to project that image of you to the world around us. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to do me a favor before we head into this message and think about that circumstance that you really wish would change in your life. Now, we're not necessarily talking about a circumstance that is a consequence of something that we've done. Uh, We mentioned last week as we started into James, and we're in James 1, um, we mentioned that when he says consider it all joy when you encounter or when you fall into various trials he's not talking about um, you know my, my spouse doesn't like me because of something I've, I've done and now I'm in a trial that's not the circumstance that he's talking about here um, but so we don't want to use this to, to uh, excuse the situation we've put ourselves into But, that aside, as we walk through this, think of that circumstance that you are in that you wish that it would change, that you wish that it would lift, you wish that the the circumstances were different, they are out of your control, and that is just not something that you're able to to control at this time, um, granted, we all know that once this one passes, another one will come, but it it would help you as as we move through this if you if you first think about what is the, that trial that i 'm going through here, as we look at James chapter one, chapter one itself in in the marks of a maturing Christian, marks of a maturing follower of Christ. Chapter 1 focuses on growth through trials and temptation. And so we'll just move into these first 12 verses that we're looking at over this week and next. First three we looked at last week um, because they are like I mentioned, a linchpin for the book of James. But it starts, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So this morning and next and next week, we're looking at this idea of, of being blessed under trials. Now as you hear that, the idea of being blessed under trials, it seems kind of contradictory. Many times when we ask someone how they're doing and they might respond, well, I'm very blessed. It may be that they are thinking at that moment of, of either financial blessing that they are sensing or, uh, or the blessing of their health or the blessing of their circumstances. It may just be that it's just a, a reaction. That's just kind of what they say. Um, you know like instead of fine they say i'm blessed i'm blessed but typically when we are under a trial the blessing that we are looking for is a lifting of that trial the end of that trial taken taken out of that trial usually blessing to us has something to do with something comfortable something profitable about the way that our life is going at that moment. The central idea of what we're looking at today from these 12 verses, is says, for the follower of Christ, what it means to be blessed by God should become clearer through trials. What it means to be blessed by God should become clearer through trials. If you notice Verse 2 and verse 12 kind of begin and end this discussion, where it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Verses 2 through 12 discuss how the shift in our thinking needs to take place when it comes to trials. These verses open up really the topics of the rest of the letter that James writes. The 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 verses two through twelve actually open up the topics and verses thirteen through twenty-seven kind of run through the topics again in some ways, and then we'll we'll see these topics again as we move through James. You'll recall that the Christians that James was writing to, that they had fled their homes in Jerusalem because of intense persecution, being thrown in prison, some of them being killed. They and those who had believed in Christ through their witness were now facing persecution in the cities that they had moved to, in the area of Judea and Samaria. They had faced economic boycotts because they were following Christ. They had uh, faced social estrangement because of the fact that they were following Christ. They had a lot of tension in their churches because now they're also figuring out how do we make a church together with we've got Jewish believers, we've got Gentile believers... How do we make a go of this? Who's going to be our teacher? Who's going to have a say in what goes on here? They were learning how to worship together. James 1 opens the topics of what a relationship with God is really about as our father as we move through tough circumstances. We understand as as fathers and as mothers How so often we see a circumstance that our child is in, and we think, I just want to save them from it. And the the believers that James is writing to are wondering, why is our father not saving us from this? Why is our father not helping us? He talks about their need for wisdom in the coming chapters. He touches several times on riches and how so often we think, if I just had a little more money, if I just had a little more bling, I think I can make it through. He touches in the coming chapters on the fact that he, as he points them toward heaven, at the fact that the follower of Christ should be looking expectantly toward the reward of God's presence. In today's verses, we're learning how our idea of being blessed probably needs some adjusting. Trials are an opportunity for this adjustment of what we think it means to be blessed by God. Now, I have a picture here. Uh, It's a little washed out on the screen here, but that's no one here at a younger age. Uh, this man is actually a cosmonaut, which is a Russian astronaut. And it was, and he, I, I'm afraid I don't have his name here, but he was the inventor of something called the penguin suit. The penguin suit. And I believe he's wearing a penguin suit here. It's also called an Adeli. But it was invented in 1971. When two, after two cosmonauts returned after their... Tw- 211 day stay in space I mean we're talking about most of a year here after their 211 day stay in space the problem was when they came back to earth their hearts were so weak that it, their hearts raced all the time they had to spend extended time in hospitals extended hospital stays uh, they couldn't walk for a month the reason for this was that the lack of gravity caused their muscles to have no need to to work against something. You know, as I lift my arm here, I'm actually working my muscles. You know, don't have any of you go home and say, see, honey, I'm, I'm working out. J- JD said it. No, but... but In the absence of gravity, there was no need for their muscles to work in order for them to move. They weren't having to work against gravity. And what the penguin suit would do is it was full of elastic bands that would make a cosmonaut or an astronaut's movement in space hard on purpose so that they could spend this extended time in space and every movement as they work was actually working their muscles so that when they came back down to gravity their muscles weren't atrophied, their muscles weren't weakened because of the lack of resistance. Isn't this... I want you to see that trials work in this way. If you'd put one of these suits on one of these guys without an explanation their thought might have been, why are you causing me all this trouble? Why do you want to make it hard for me to move? Why do you want to make it hard for me to get out of bed in the morning and put one foot in front of the other? But they would have been explained with the fact that this resistance, this restriction, this trouble that you feel is keeping your muscles from, from becoming nothing. In the same way, that's how we respond to trials when they come, isn't it? Why does this have to be here, Lord? Why do I have to go through this? Why does it have to be hard to get out of bed? Why does it have to be hard to put one foot in front of the other? I want you to get a glimpse of the purpose of trials this morning as they work our relationship with the Lord, as they tone our relationship with the Lord. The first idea that we're looking at here is that trials are opportunities to reconsider what being blessed means to us. They are opportunities to reconsider what being blessed means to us. Now, I know we looked at these three verses as a linchpin for the, for the book of James last week, but we're going to look at them in the context of these 11 verses that we're looking at this morning just shortly here. But you'll recall that he tells us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Now, let's remember, he's writing to believers in Christ. He's writing to those that have recognized that their sin separates them from God and that in their own righteousness they cannot earn a relationship with God but that Christ in His righteousness, in His power, in His eternality, sacrificed Himself for us paying our debt of sin and enabled us by receiving His payment on our part, by receiving His righteousness in place of ours, enabling them to have a relationship with God. So he's writing to people that have received Christ as their Savior, that has received Christ's payment, Christ's righteousness, to act on their part, and that's why he calls them brothers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, he says. You might remember that this term, count it all joy, is a banking term, or it's the same, it's what we do when we move something in our checkbook our checkbook from the debit column to the credit column. He's saying, when you look at a trial, we should be able to look at that and say, this is for my benefit. This will be credited to my life. Not in a sense of earning something, but in a sense of this will improve my relationship with the Lord. If he's allowed it into my life, it must be for his glory and for my good. We have this idea that it's only being without trials in life in which we are blessed. We consider being healthy as a blessing, a good crop and rain as a blessing. We consider a promotion at work as a blessing. Now, these are all blessings. And it's good to recognizing them as coming from the hand of our Father we're told in this passage to add trials over to the blessed column. Add trials to that same column of being blessed and it sounds like crazy talk. But why is it that we should reconsider trials as a blessing? He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We talked last week about the fact that that it's only in this testing, it's only in these trials that we develop steadfastness. We talked about steadfastness means to remain under. We develop the ability to remain under something. To not say, I'm out of here. To not say, Lord, if you're not going to do this for me, I don't want anything to do with you. Steadfastness could also, is also translated endurance. It's also translated Perseverance. A person doesn't just walk out of their home and decide, I'm going to jog a marathon today. I'm going to jog 26 miles. You know, I've always wanted to be a marathon runner, so today's the day. (laughs) I actually had a friend in college. He was extremely fit. Um, He decided the week before the Chicago Marathon that he was going to run the Chicago Marathon. He did it, and he literally, literally was sick for the next 12 months. Um, A person doesn't just step out of their house and decide, I'm going to jog a marathon today. It's something they have to build endurance for. It's something that they have to develop the ability to keep putting one foot in front of the other one mile after another. Endurance is what is needed. We talked about the fact that it is when our beliefs are combined with steadfastness in whatever the circumstance that we would consider them convictions. So our beliefs need steadfastness to be added to them. Steadfastness comes through trials that we face. In the same way we develop the ability to glorify God amidst trials, by remaining under the trials in a way that pleases Him. We'll talk in the coming weeks of how a trial quickly becomes a temptation when we start to entertain the idea of maybe I don't have to deal with this in a way that pleases God. Maybe I could deal with what I'm facing in another way. And that's when a trial becomes a temptation. And that's why James turns the corner there in the middle of chapter 1. We face a challenge today, though. When everything is at our fingertips. When the, it's unthinkable not to be able to Google something that we don't know. Right? How many of you guys do that? Having a discussion, well, what is that? Who is that? Who played in that movie? Or well what is what is it what does that word mean? Oh, let's Google it. We have this expectation that everything should be answered. Everything should be there. We face a challenge today when a child's boredom is something that we as adults think we're supposed to solve for them. Our kids will grow up thinking boredom is a trial. (laughs) But we face a challenge today when we claim that a relationship with God, a relationship through Christ, is going to solve all your problems. And that's a problem. We'll work from the idea that problems are intended to be we work in these situations from the idea that problems are intended to be solved now. God's plan for troub- is for troubles to do a work in his children as we persevere through them. We also talked about the fact that being able to reconsider what it means to be blessed means valuing what God is moving us toward. And that's his reasoning here for being able to consider trials joy because they produce steadfastness. And then he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Our heavenly father has the desire to move us toward what it, more of a perfection in our relationship with him, more of a completeness in our relationship with him. We're not going to fully attain this free of being free of the presence of sin and in his presence. But this is where he's moving us toward. And if we don't find this most important to us, then we're not going to find joy in the trial because the trial is moving toward, it's intended to move us toward this growth and maturity in our relationship with him. So being able to obey this command requires a major shift in what it, we consider to be best for us. Otherwise, the promise of growing in Christ is of no comfort during the challenge that we're facing. Now, I used to do a little thing with students. Right? Wow. You can kind of see that, at least over here. Glad I didn't try this today. But anyways... Grow two of Jim Dandy, the fourth, all, candy, all Canadian yams, Barbara. But I would have two students come up and put on different colored glasses. And the student that would had one colored glasses on would see this. The student that had the other colored glasses would be looking at this, but they would see this. go to J.D. for a candy bar. And the student that would be able to read that would, would just kind of put the glasses on, sit there and think, and walk over to me, and I'd hand him a candy bar. The other one would be sitting there going, what's he see? How's this work? The point of that being... that we have to look with the right eyes. We have to see things as God intends them to be. We have to be looking through the circumstance, through the situation with wisdom, with God's wisdom in order to be able to get from it what he intends. These verses, as I said, are the linchpin for understanding James. James is speaking about the trials that his readers are going through as a great opportunity to grow. He challenges us to consider how we are approaching our trials and the answers that we are clinging to. Notice that maturity in Christ is described as lacking in nothing. And then he begins the next verses with, if any of you lacks Wisdom. He points this is: this is one of those things that God is ready to give to you to help you see the trial in the way, in the, for the purpose, in the way that He has for you. And, and this is where this second point here, I know you've got four points on your sheet. Don't worry, we're only working through two of them today. Next week is the last two points. But it's in here where he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The point here is trials are opportunities to repurpose our understanding of God and his blessing. And that's what he's saying here in these verses. We tend to think when I'm facing a trial, the purpose of praying is to ask God to get me out. Okay? I've prayed, Lord, send us rain. Please, send us rain. I have to admit, I haven't prayed too much. Lord, will you give the farmers the wisdom to see your purpose in this? as you're not sending us rain. And that's an example of what James is challenging us to do, along with, Lord, send us rain. But wisdom is what we're encouraged to pray for. So, moving through this, as he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, this if is a form that is assuming it to be the case. If someone says, uh, if anyone here is breathing you know, you'll, you need wisdom. You know, the if is assumed. So he's assuming we all need wisdom and we need to ask for it. When he says ask, he's saying, let him keep on asking. Let him continue asking. When, as we need wisdom, let us continue asking for wisdom. Wisdom is seeing things correctly. It's having, knowing the ability to do the right thing and when to do it. Knowing what is the right thing to do and knowing when to do it. The wisdom that is needed in trials has to do with how to remain under the trial in a way that brings glory to the Lord in a way that allows us to grow further in our relationship with him. A quote I read is this. Why not ask for strength or grace or even deliverance? And I say we should. But he's saying, why isn't James pointing to this? Why not ask for strength or grace or even deliverance? For this reason. We need wisdom so we will not waste the opportunities God is giving us to mature. Wisdom helps us understand how to use these circumstances for our good and God's glory, the writer wrote. James moves then from what we should ask for to whom it is we should ask it. He goes on to explain the character of God in respect to prayer. He explains to, he gives to all of his children, all of those who call on his name, who ask for wisdom. He explains this, this, is, this is without reproach. I don't know if you remember this as a kid or maybe you've been this kind of parent or grandparent at times where you get bugged and bugged and bugged for something and then finally you're like, okay, I'm going to give it to you but you're going to sit down and I'm going to tell you, I, this is my opportunity to tell you why I'm so upset. You know. And it's, it's um, the idea is he gives without cutting words. He gives it without uh, making us regret asking. It says that he gives generously. His giving of wisdom is overflowing and, and continues as we continue to ask. He gives generously. so James. So James covers what we should be asking for in the tough circumstances, who it is that we should be asking for it from, and then he moves into uh, how wisdom should be sought. Now, these verses a lot of times are used out of context in terms of, you know, in any sort of prayer, you better ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You know, that person's not going to receive. Let's keep this in its context of a person that is facing a trial in their life as all of us do and is asking for wisdom. Now, the temptation or, or, or the challenge that they're going to be facing in this situation is, is God for me? And where does my situation fit into what God is doing here? What is his plan? So he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. The rest of this section seems like it gets really harsh. It seem, it's, it, it's important that we don't approach this passage thinking that it tells us how to get from God what we want. Because that's how we end up using this. Okay, so I, I got a build. Okay, I'm going to ask him. I got I to get a lot of faith up a lot of faith because I want him to do what I want him to do. Right? We we can tend to treat passages like this like like, um, magic spells or something. It's actually the opposite of what these verses are talking about. You might recall this passage, again, is talking about wisdom for growth for people that are going through trials. He says... Let's unpack this a little bit. He says, let him ask in faith. There's a little anagram in your notes there. Maybe you've heard this before. I, I appreciate a definition of faith being forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him. I'm putting my trust in him. Faith is trusting what we believe to be true. Faith which stands during trials is belief belief with steadfastness. So James has a way of unpacking his ideas by describing it in several different ways. We'll see that through James. He'll make one statement and he'll describe it as, um, well, as he did with growing in maturity to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. You know, and he does the same here with asking in faith, faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. And, and unpacks it in that way. So he describes it as being with no doubting. This means literally without a separation between. Imagine the trial being like a wedge, okay? That could separate you from what you believe about the Lord. And, and basic, you know, let's pack it all into that God is great enough. And God is good enough and he's beyond great enough, and he's beyond good enough, okay? So there's you and your belief, and this doubting is to, the term here means without separation. And imagine that trial be like trying to drive a wedge, or the enemy trying to use that to drive a wedge between you In what you believe about the Lord without the separation, it says. So that is what it means to ask in faith, is without a separation between what you, yourself, and what you believe about the Lord. The doubter is described as being like a wave of the sea. And we're, We're going to unpack that a little bit more. I'm leaving that kind of undone there of this separation idea because he he gets to a better understanding when he talks about that person is double-minded. Okay? The doubter is described as being like a wave of the sea and he hammers this point home being tossed back and forth by every. I enjoyed um, a few times... Well, let me say, I went fishing with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law in Lake Michigan. And it was a, um, a real treat, you know, um, pulling in these big fish. I, I'm not even going to try to say what they were. But um, I went twice. I really enjoyed one of them. The second one, the wind was up and the waves were at about four foot swells. And while they, I know you're going to think I'm a wimp, but while they were on the back of the boat fishing, I was in the cabin with a hat over my eyes just trying to keep from getting sick. Well, I was sick, but trying to keep from getting sick. Um, those waves were just moving back and forth, moving the boat up and down. And, and James is telling us that the one who doubts the one who allows the trial to come between them and and there's no steadfastness there that holds them to their beliefs, the one that doubts is like that wave. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just following the wind. Whoops, sorry boat. You know, you're going up. You're going down up. We're coming back. You know, it's not a, it's not a, obviously it's not, it's a humbling description of ourselves at times. This person is not steadfast in their faith, and is described as being tossed like a wave, uh, just following where the wind pushes it. These are pretty important ideas here. We're told that the person is not going to receive the wisdom from God that they ask for. I mean, I don't know if about you, but when I hear that, I'm like, okay, I'm perking up. What's what's the deal here? What's going on? What is this about? Okay, so when is it that I fit into this description of lacking faith, doubting, like a wave of the sea? The biggest key, like I said, comes from the following verses. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Double-minded, this is a word that most people believe James coined this um, compound word. It actually means literally "double souled." Double, this person has two souls. I mean, yeah, that's kind of weird. And hopefully, we'll unpack this, better understand it describes him as being unstable in all his ways. James is saying that the person who fits this description has bigger issues than just the trial they're going through. They're unstable in all their ways. He's unstable in all his ways, not just in how and what he prays for when he's under trial. Remember, the context here is how does he pray, what does he pray for, Okay, beyond that, the person that is not asking in faith, is, a, is doubting, is tossed back and forth, double-souled, they're not just unstable in what they pray for when they go through a trial. They're unstable in everything. Okay, but recall, a trial allows us to see into our soul a little bit. So maybe we can do some work on this double-mindedness. Maybe we can do some work on this lack of faith through the trial it allows us to redefine what does it mean to be blessed by God what is my relationship with God really about can you see here a little bit on how a trial allows us to see into our soul a little bit the issue for the person being described here is that of moving back and forth about who God is and what a relationship with him is about. I mean, these, these, are, these are big issues, wouldn't you say? The issue of the person going through the trial and not, and not able to approach it in faith, and they're, they're tossed back and forth. What they're being tossed back and forth about is, who is this God that I claim to serve? Is he good enough? Because I don't feel like he cares about me right now. Is he great enough? Because if he had the power, I think he would come and fix this. And if they had some wisdom to see into that situation, they would start to see, maybe I'm sitting on the throne. And maybe I'm treating God like my little lackey. That he's supposed to fix my world. I'm the center and he orbits around me. And the trial starts to point out, wait, hold on here, there's something wrong. And we start to realize, no. It's supposed to be the other way around. That's what wisdom allows us to see. So faith is only as valuable as the object. Let me say this. Faith is only as valuable as the object that you're putting your faith into. Okay? So here's Fitz, why their faith is weak. Your faith is weak not just in its strength but what is it being put into. You're invested in a certain stock or a certain metal like gold. You're only going to benefit from it if that object that you're investing yourself in is sure and sound. This is why James describes the character of God in verse 5. Recall, he's, listen, let me remind you, he says, he's generous. He gives without reproach. He gives to all his children that ask. So the person's saying, well, I must be asking the wrong person then. And James says, yeah, you probably are. You probably have a wrong idea of who God is. So James is getting pretty tough. Not me, it's James. No. The faithless person is being told to pray for wisdom, but their response is, wisdom... I want out of this trial, not growth. God, God isn't how, God, this isn't how this is supposed to work, they say. I'm supposed to rub the bottle and you're supposed to come out in a poof of smoke. What's going on, God? Don't you know that you're the genie and I'm the master? Hopefully this trials with wisdom allows the person to see what their idea of their relationship with God really is. James will deal later as we we get to chapter 4. He's going to deal again with this topic in the motives of the heart when he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So again, chapter 1 is just kind of letting us know these are the topics we're going to be hitting on. These are the topics we're going to be covering. D.A. Carson says this, speaking of the double-minded person. says, their real interest is in advancement in this world. But they also want to enjoy some of God's blessings now and go to heaven when they die. He says, such a person will not get wisdom, James says. In fact, such a person will not receive anything at all from God. James is saying, this guy's got bigger problems. Not just in the fact that he's not asking for wisdom correctly and he's not going to be able to move through this trial well. Um, that person should not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Um, think of the trial that we face think of whether um, it's that, that person that is rejecting you whether it's that the workplace situation whether it's the the income that you just can't seem to improve um, whether it is uh, this the lack of rain that we're facing, think of that trial as being like a cave. God's desire is that we would search through the cave. He has us in that cave to find the jewel of a closer walk with him. God is prepared to give us wisdom that we need, the wisdom that we need in order to find those jewels of a closer walk with him to doubt or be double-minded is to swing back and forth in our belief. Is God in control? Is, is he big enough here? Is he good enough here? He's in control of our circumstances to use it for his glory and for our good. To be double-minded sits here wondering, hey, w- w- what's this supposed to be about? Are you going to be serving me here or not? You know, I'm sending up the prayers and you're supposed to respond. To be double-minded asks ourselves, do I even want this relationship with God if he's going to take me through this one cave of suffering after another? I thought that God was going to make my life better when I received Christ as my Savior. So that's the picture here of God's got us in that cave for one reason and our idea is, God, you're, right now what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to f- I'm supposed to find an escape hatch. So trials are cause for us to repurpose our understanding of God and his blessing. We cannot reconsider a trial as a joyful thing, remember, if we do not value what God seeks to do in us through the trial. In the same way, we cannot receive wisdom from God if growth is not what we desire during our trials. Um, you remember this picture that we looked at in Colossians? Yeah, it has application in more than just Colossians. But for the follower of Christ, we constantly deal with our hearts either being set on serving ourselves or serving God. When our hearts are set on serving ourselves, we treat everything in life, including God, like a vending machine. Okay? And maybe in the situation of treating God like a vending machine, we come to Him like, okay God, I've got my prayers here. I'm plugging them in the vending machine. All right, I want out of this trial. You know, we, we give Him what we have to get what we need. And we treat, we treat people like that. We treat, we treat other people Um, Other situations like that. Maybe we treat our job like that. We treat family like that. The way we are designed to live is our hearts set on serving God with our lives. And then the trial that he allows us to go through, we seek wisdom to know, God, you know, maybe the trial allows us to see an area that we don't want problems in. We don't want trouble here. But not being double-minded, approaching it in faith, being being steadfast to what we know about God, we're able to look at this and say, I know that you are in control here. I know that you are able to do whatever you desire. I know that you're about your glory and my good. And so, Lord... Will you give me the wisdom to know how to go through this in a way that pleases you, in a way that grows me closer to you? And that's an example of laying that area of our life on the altar of worship. We sang a song, Heart of Worship. It says, King of endless days, nothing could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and I'm poor, all I have is is yours. Every single breath. And you know what? This is life worship. As the song says, I'll give you more than a song. We're willing to come and worship him with our praise. Are we willing to give him our lives in worship? And trials bring us face to face with where we are in that. And having faith that he is good and that he is great and that he has our best in mind and that, and that in the end, we're going to glory in him allows us to say, God, would you give me the wisdom to know how to walk through this? Or Lord, maybe the first is, what's going on? And realize, wait, this is pointing out that I'm really over here. Because I'm upset with you right now. And I want you to do differently here. And I'm recognizing I've got my heart set on serving me. And I'm just treating you like a genie. Lord, can you turn my heart back to serving you? One of the greatest examples that we have of this is Christ in the garden. Lord, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. It says that for the joy set before him, he embraced the cross. The joy of glorifying the father. That's why he says in the upper room when Judas leaves to go get the priests, now is the father glorified for the joy of, set, of glorifying the Father set before Him, He embraced the cross and the picture that we have is Him saying, Lord, if it, if, if, if it be Your will, take this cup from me, but not my will, but Yours be done. And in the trial, any trial that you face, if you can be brought back to the garden of our Savior, of not my will, Lord, but Yours be done, then it is an opportunity to offer up that area of our life as life worship to him. Life worship. For the follower of Christ. I'll just, as I say this, I'll, I'll have the worship team come on up. For the follower of Christ, becoming more mature and complete through trials is not a workshop. Okay? It's not a workshop. Becoming more mature and complete is, Through trials is about life worship. Becoming more mature and complete is not a workshop, in that it's not about working harder on something so that we have something to offer God so that He'll love us more. Okay? Becoming more mature and complete is about living our lives as an offering of worship to Him. You know, His love is ours. If we know Christ as our Savior, His full mercy is ours. Our position in Christ is secure. Our joy is limited. And it is limited to how much we're able to walk through this life with Him at the center, it being about Him, and the trials that we face. We interact with them, approaching it in terms of, Lord, how can I grow from this? How can I get joy of growing closer to you? Lord, this trial is pointing out that I'm clinging to something more valuable than you are to me. Will you just, just keep stripping it away, Lord? Give me a closer walk with you through this. Father, Lord, I, I ask for your grace, more of your grace, more of your mercy, Lord God. Thank you so much that you give generously, that you don't ridicule us for needing wisdom from you. You don't ridicule us for needing your help to grow through the things that we face. Lord, I pray for each one of us in the different things we face. I'm sure every person is facing a trial of a relationship, a trial of a circumstance, a trial of economic proportions, a trial of of just maybe not wanting to get out of bed. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to grow, that you would give us the grace to understand you better through them. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.